Hello and welcome to Eat or No Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best book called The Peregrine. To help me are two qualified high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Hi, Nick. My name is Joe Holshue and this week I, I have great news for you. I brought out a book called Finally. The Peregrine. Yeah, The Peregrine by J.A. Baker. A, a kind of classic of the naturalist genre that I heard about two weeks ago, read this last week, and really loved. Um, 1967. Did people call him Jab? Oh, J-A-B? I don't, I don't get the impression he got, had a lot of friends, so I think they probably <laughs> oh, just called great. him J.A. Baker. Great. <laughs> um, flippity flap, Nick, and uh, flippity flap to you, Joe. Back at you. And ya. a big old scree to the lit heads out there. Whoa. I'm assume that, I assume the peregrines say scree. Uh, my name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. I'm a, I'm a high school English teacher who definitely, definitely is not a peregrine falcon in my spare time. And I didn't bring a book this week. I'm excited to learn about Jay Baker. What I know about about this book, what I know about Jay Baker, which is not very much, is that he was an odd duck. He was one odd dude. With no friends. That's what I just learned. Mm -hmm. Poor guy. I'd have been your friend, Jab. Jab, 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 jab. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, 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 <laughs> John Alec Baker. Case you're wondering, his name should have been. Does he even care? Hey guys, he died the year I was born. We could have never been friends, technically speaking. For for a variety of 1987. reasons. 1987. You both wear glasses. Let's cut oh, it off. Okay. Number yep. one, you both wear glasses. You both have no friends. Number two, Let's you talk both about the friends. Yeah. You you <laughs> both bicycle around the countryside of England observing birds. Number three, this guy. I'm looking at pictures of him. Ooh. He was pretty pretty cool. Yeah, seems like a cool guy. Judging that book by its cover. It's a lot of pictures of him outside in nature. Well, that's nature writers for you. Tucked in shirt. So it's a nature book, huh, Joe? Yeah, it's it's a nature book. And it's not just a nature. It's not a nature book in the way that like a thousand miles or a beast a thousand Animal miles long, long is a nature yeah. book. Yeah. Where, where he's looking at a ton of different views of one thing. This is one guy who for 10 years of his life was like, hey, I am super interested in peregrine falcons. I am going to spend every moment of leisure I have getting on my bicycle, following peregrine falcons around the English countryside, watching them through bio through binoculars and journaling about them relentlessly. And then I'm going to take those uh, 1600 pages of journals and I'm going to distill them down into a 200 page book. Why did he like pair? Well, maybe we'll get to that in a minute. Hey, you know what the fastest animal in the world is, Ian? Uh, a caterpillar. It is not. It is a peregrine falcon. So that's one reason why they're so interesting. Really cool, that's one right? Year. Isn't that? Are they the ones that can dive and like they basically pulverize their prey because of the speed yeah. of their, yeah, their shockwaves? Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. Well, welcome, Leadheads. You know, let a weekly, as we call it, strongly podcast for every strongly week. Podcast. Joe and Ian bring book recommendations and we pick a winner just to upset one of them, but not this week because we're just doing one book. 
Sad. Oh, well. <laughs> but we do have some show rules to keep us on track. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today, Joe, please. Absolutely. Also, the second rule is for you, Joe. Please omit <laughs> needless words. And then the last rule doesn't matter. All the rules are just for you, Joe. Which is all about you. It's just the story of my so, life. It's like, Joe, so all these rules are for you. Joe, you're a special boy today. Joe, take 30 seconds and tell me what this book is all about. Nick, in 1965, peregrine falcons were on the brink of extinction. From autumn to spring of that year, J.A. Baker set out to track the daily comings and goings of just a pair of them uh, that lived in the flatlands in eastern England in his hometown. He followed the birds obsessively. He observed them in the air and on the ground in pursuit of their prey, making kills, eating, and at rest. Activities he describes with an insane fusion in this book of precision and poetry. Um, he is a weird guy. This is a weird book. I'm super happy I read it. It's it, it's wild. 200 pages long, and and I've got a lot to say. Cool. Like that page count. Like we that page count. We could have put last week's book and this week's book together in the, the mm-hmm. um, theme of weird books. So, Joe, I can't imagine anybody would want to read this book. Um, can you convince me otherwise? Yeah, I, I think I can. Okay, Nick, I... Besides birders, of course. Right, obviously birders, voracious readers. Let me tell you what drew me to this book initially, because two weeks ago, I hadn't heard of it at all. Um, this was literally everything. In the book, uh, Animal a Thousand Miles Long, um, the, the book I brought a couple of weeks ago about Vermont, the writer had just a quick excerpt from this book where he described like what the world must look like to a peregrine falcon, like, fo- like falling away, like it must fall away from him. And I was totally struck by it. Right. I'm like, wow, what a, what a killer description that is. And the way that the writer of that book referenced this, he kind of referenced it as like, oh, well, this is from the Peregrine, which is like this classic of nature writing that you have for sure heard of and read before. So like, I'm not going to say more about it here. And I had not heard of it or read it before. And like you, Nick, like my file card on Peregrine Falcons was exactly one item long, which was fastest animal on the planet. Right. That's it. That's what I knew about them. Fastest animal on the planet. And they, they bash things with speed. Bash things with speed. They kill them with their speed. Like Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Or like... Uh, like a cannonball, basically. Or like a bullet. I mean, like all sorts of things. So so I picked up this book this week when I had the chance, and it was initially a little disappointing, oh, to be no. totally honest with you. Initially a little disappointing. Because that's a gamble, right? You, you, mm-hmm. you read an excerpt, and you're like, all right, this seems good from what I've read. Let's go with it. And you crack it open, and it's like, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah. So, so the way this book is structured and that, and I, I hope I can get to the disappointment kind of quickly because I want to mostly spend time with uh, talking about what I loved here. The way this book is set up is it's essentially two chapters long. The first chapter of this 200 page book is 10 pages long. And it's literally him saying, this is what you need to know about peregrines. If you don't know anything about them now, this is how big they are. This is where they live. This is how they kill things. This is what they eat. I traveled around the English countryside for 10 years, and this is a list of the bird carcasses that I found. Like it's, it's like a scientific catalog and of like, I found 465 wood pigeons. I found 236 ducks. I found this like, like of these carcasses that these peregrines ate. And he said, and at the end of that 10 pages, he basically is like, okay, you now know what you need to know about peregrines. 
Let me give you 190 pages of me observing them in daily diary entries, right? And it's literally October 1st. Let me tell you what I saw on October first. Not I, Adam. Is just the twist in the in the show <laughs> in the sales pitch right now, Gio? Well, okay. So all right, we're all ears. We're all so, ears. Show keep going. So I was in the exact same spot that you were. I thought it was a interesting book. I thought that some of the things he said were really um, like beautifully described. But as I was listening to this on audiobook initially, read by David Attenborough, oh. uh, which was oh. wonderful. As oh, I was listening Jesus. to this on audio, he should have started with that. I, 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 sorry, as, as I was doing my research, I, I found out that he had recorded it, and I was like, I feel like that's probably very, very good. Yeah, so it is. It's super good. It's exactly what you think. It is like it feels like David Attenborough is narrating a nature documentary Jerry, for you. <laughs> That's uh, are you okay, how, how David Attenborough? in that recording. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, he's he's one of those guys that has the voice that never ages. He's like Bob Euchre. So it's read by David Attenborough, and as I'm listening to this book on my dog walks or doing the dishes or all like the little places that I fit in these readings every week, is it, I thought, okay, this is cool and all like the, like it this description and pretty much in each one of these diary entries a peregrine falcon eventually kills something like that's pretty much what happens on every single oh, day right bloodlust. that's the that's the that's the punchline for every one of these episodes and then the yes. falcon killed something <laughs> and that, and then the diary entry is over and then the falcon dives out of the air and hits him at 240 miles per hour and there's an explosion of feathers and then later i found a goose carcass <laughs> um <laughs> but as i was reading this i thought I don't get what the big deal is here. Like it feels so much like a nature documentary, right? Mm. Like that's what it felt like. It just felt like, like, uh, like anything I would have watched on planet earth or something like that. And then I picked up my physical copy of this book. Um, I tend to read these things in conjunction, right? I usually have a physical copy and an audio book and I work through kind of both of them over the course of the week, kind of tag teaming. I picked up my physical copy and I started reading it and I realized that, this guy, J.A. Baker, he writes in a way that when you see it on the page is almost totally unlike anything I've written, right? He has such an insane economy of language and he uses language in such a creative way that doesn't necessarily come across in an audiobook, right? Like in an audiobook, it just feels like David Attenborough is telling you the story. But when you actually sit and look at the words, when you slow down, when you read it at your own pace, you go, Jesus Christ, this is poetry. Like this is actual poetry that this guy is writing. So Joe, you love, you love, you love economy. Weirdly, for someone who struggles with rule number two, you <laughs> love economy of language, don't you? Well, they say we admire the traits that we do not have. Yep. <laughs> uh, okay. But, but count you know but it is still about birds the entire thing like like there are there are 190 pages of diary entries about birds in this joe if i were to say something like so lit heads we totally understand if you don't give a shit about birds and you just want to move on to another book mm -hmm. is there any counter argument to that or like is there is there um what does this book do that you couldn't get from just googling a bunch of facts of birds yep so at the time he wrote this book, he had every expectation on the planet that the peregrine falcon would go extinct. Oh, oh, this is a this is a love letter to a the dodo. <laughs> Do you remember when you were kids and there weren't bald eagles anywhere? Like if you saw a bald eagle, it was a really big. Deal it was a huge deal. Kids. Yeah. 
it was a huge deal. Now, today, they're everywhere, right? Like, like I, I live near a river where I live, and right. like there are bald eagles. I see bald eagles every single day at home. I mean, and I remember when I was a kid, people would come from hundreds of miles away to see like the one bald eagle nest that people knew about around here. In the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, because of certain chemicals, uh, pesticides, like uh, river pollution, things like that, raptors specifically were devastated, right? They were decimated, the populations of them. Uh, they, when they would lay eggs, the shells that they would lay would be too thin to protect the eggs, and they wouldn't hatch, right? Like, they wouldn't hatch. Um, that, coupled with, in World War II, the U- British Navy had uh, an order out to kill any peregrine falcon on sight because peregrine falcons would hunt the homing pigeons that the oh Navy would use gosh. in distress signals, meant that peregrine falcons in England were essentially gone when he found this wow. nesting pair. So what he ends up writing is is kind of what he thinks at the time is might is like this last documentation awesome. of essentially this this insanely awesome bird that is going to be gone from the planet pretty soon. And when he writes about it like the passion that he has for it, the excitement that he has for it is like, you know, we use the word palpable to feel like, to to talk about how it is on the page, but like it feels like these pages have a heartbeat to them. Right? Like these passages have motion to them. They, they're, they're wild. Hey, why was this guy such a dick? But I didn't, I did not say dick. Is <laughs> not what I said. Is this, is he trying to like, oh. is he, is he prompting us to, he said he's like me. What's his rhetorical purpose, Joseph? Is he trying to, rally like silent spring style like hey the spring will be silent so let's stop putting pesticides on everything or is this just like hey man uh peregrines are out there's nothing we can do i'm going to do all all we can do is my last sort of poetic um tribute to their incredible coolness yeah, so this book is contemporary with Silent Spring. Um, people kind of, like I saw one review basically say that like, hey, if Silent Spring wasn't a big deal, this is the book that we would think of as Silent Interesting. Spring. Like, like, like this is like the conservation book that would have replaced it if Silent Spring didn't come along. And I think what he's basically saying is he is, when he talks about man's effects on peregrine falcons or just on nature in general uh, in here, he is um, vitriolic. Right. Like he 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 spares no punches for what p- human beings have done to to nature throughout this book. Um, it's kind of interesting, actually, because when he talks about peregrine falcons killing things, which they do in every passage in this book, he talks about it. it it's almost beautiful. Like it, it is like grisly and gruesome and bloody. But like but like it's almost it's almost beautiful and impressive when he talks about man's devastation or man harming nature. The tone is not beautiful. The tone is very like you are selfish and you are stupid and you are short sighted, etc. That's really interesting. J.A. Baker was born frail, right? Like he is he is like a genetically frail person. He has terrible eyesight, like pictures of him as a little kid. He has these Coke bottle glasses on. He was held out of service in World War II because of that eyesight. He um, was diagnosed with full body arthritis when he was <sighs> young. Holy right? And, uh. and basically his entire adult life was him slowly but steadily becoming crippled by his diseases, right? Where he, he could not do it anymore. 
he says in, in one of his blurbs, um, there, there wasn't a lot known about this guy until kind of after the fact and people went and like actually talked to his friends and, and things like that. Um, they said, he said in one of his things that his he, friend, um, well, his friend, yeah, he wrote in one of his blurbs that he had assorted jobs, including chopping down trees and pushing book trolleys in the British, British museum. But in 1965, he gave up work and lived on hit the money he had saved, devoting all time to his obsession, the peregrine. There wasn't really a lot else known about him. But when he talks about the Peregrine Falcon, when he describes these things, and I want to talk about the language in a second here, but when he describes this things, these things, it becomes increasingly clear throughout this book that he is living vicariously through what he sees through his binoculars, right? Like he, you can imagine, for example, why the fastest, like one of the most nimble, one of the most powerful birds on the planet who can go gotcha. anywhere they want gotcha. and who's an absolute killer, why that might appeal to this rheumatoid, um, short-sighted, yep. like kind Whoa, of invalid. name calling. <laughs> so it, it's the it's the fantasy again. Like this, this is, once again, he, just like with Calvino last week, just like with Calvino last week, he he saw a state that he wanted or or imagined attaining, and the way that he attained it was through writing it. Wow, that's awesome. And I think the way that this guy attained it is is through like journaling about right. these birds. He ended up um, he only wrote two two books in his entire life. Um, he wrote he studied this one for ten years. He followed Peregrine Falcons for ten years. He collected sixteen hundred pages of notes. He wrote and rewrote this book five times until it was down to two hundred pages, and he published it. And he published it to massive acclaim. Right. Like like he got um, tremendous recognition, things like that. Um, Warner Herzog, I really liked this quote. A lot of writers talk about it, but Warner Herzog, the director, talks about it. And he said, this is the one book like this. He does. He does. (laughs) He says, this is the one book I would ask you to read if you want to make films. It has a prose of the caliber that we have not seen since Joseph Conrad. And one of the things that he talks about is like this guy captures motion and and like cinematic um, moments in a way that no book I've ever read has. Werner Her- uh, I'm sorry, Werner Herzog says. Yeah, that's that's a pretty high accolade there. I, I just wonder whether Werner Herzog would what he would say about too many butlers. He'd say it's the only other book you should read if you want to make movies. <laughs> I would like to see have David Attenborough and Werner Herzog ever had a conversation because I would pay several dollars to see I that. that be, like, I like, like, only, ooh, ooh, ooh. New, new disruption of the pay-per-view space. Pay-per-view conversations where... <laughs> with people who sound identical. People with interesting uh, accents and make them talk to each other. You could even yes, have like... Yes, yes. Audiences vote mm-hmm. on what they talk about. Yeah. So this book is a... Um, I, yeah, I know you said he writes. He wrote another book, and I, I've done a little bit of reading about the other book, and it seems also quite wonderful. These seem these seem quite quite lovely books. Um, but we might we might call him like everyone knows him for the Peregrine. We might call him a one hit wonder in music that has a seriously negative connotation. Um, but I feel like in books we're a lot more charitable towards people who just crank out their one amazing book and then say peace out forever. Is is that accurate? Like, do, do we, do we feel, do you, do you guys think that we do this for, for that one? Like somebody comes up, shows up, 
kind of writes that perfect book and then mic drops and leaves. And why are we okay with it for authors, but not so much for musicians? I think that's a super good question because like when Harper Lee never writes anything right, exactly. after To Kill a Mockingbird, you're just like, well, yeah, she's not going to top To Kill a Mockingbird, right? <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't, please, I, would you like me to answer yes. this? Because I think you just men have compared To Kill a Mockingbird to that one song from Sum 41 that came out in 1992. Okay, I think fair. the merit of these things aren't necessarily on par, mm-hmm. right? Okay, well, I think that's, but I think that's what Ian's maybe getting at, or I think that's how I would answer this question too, is I feel like sometimes when you get a one-hit wonder, it feels like it's so much like a one-hit wonder song. It feels like it is so of the moment, right? Like it just captures, it's just like- okay. Mm, it almost feels like it gets lucky or something like that. Like it just so perfectly encapsulates like this very moment. And maybe because it's the nature of pop music, it just, it just goes away. Whereas maybe like one hit wonder books hang around. It's a different medium. I don't think you can compare those. Oh, I like, like to kill a mockingbird seems to express something beyond its, its moment. It's delightful. And then the peregrine is another great example. These are books which like stick with us because they're not, uh, 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 stuck in uh, restricted to their moment they're in fact uh, ugh, timeless right well they, they survive each generation like when i read this book this week one of the things that struck me is how totally fresh right. and current the language feels and 1965 isn't like i don't expect that to be archaic by any means right but like you expect it to be a little bit dated things like that but this feels like a book that possibly could have been written you know, last year, but it wouldn't be as good or something like that. Right. So he does this thing where he uses the English language in surprising and creative ways. So for example, um, he might take a verb that's usually like something like an intransitive verb, not to get too grammary and suddenly make it take a a direct object. Right. So he talks about like these birds in the sky saying that they shone frail gold, right? These, this flock of birds shone frail gold. He converts nouns into verbs at places. He talks about starlings who sky up violently, right? Like, which is just a beautiful verb, like starlings sky up violent. It it is poetic in here. Um, And I wasn't convinced it was poetic. I feel like that's a, a shorthand that we use sometimes just yes. to talk about beautiful uh-huh. language. And then I read an article, like some analysis of this book, where it literally took one of his paragraphs and it just put it line, line breaks, breaks yep. in them. It, it just gave it line breaks. And it, and I had this moment where I was like, holy smokes, that's actually a poem. Like that is actually a poem that he just ran into each other on every side. And like the wild thing about this book is he does that over and over and over like like his description of a wood duck is the best description of a wood duck you've ever heard in your life like heads on this show we've heard a lot of descriptions of wood ducks (laughs) i have exactly one more thing to say and it's a wonderful word that i heard for the first time about six months ago and i can't get out of my head ever since and i think this book like directly ties into it it's a word called umwalt U-M-W-E-L-T. Have you, either of you heard I've, this word I've before? I've heard, heard and read the word. I don't know what it means, though. Okay. This is the idea of umwelt. Your perception as a human being is, like, limited by, like, the things that you can perceive as a human being, right? So, like, we have, we're, we're, we're good at seeing, we're good at hearing, we're good at smelling, etc. But we're not good at smelling in the way that a dog is good at smelling, 
we're not good at seeing in the way that like something that maybe has like ultraviolet like a, receptors or like a, or like an eagle receptor. or a bird, a peregrine. Or like an eagle or a bird is good at seeing, right? <laughs> like a dodo. <laughs> they didn't see that the coming. The idea behind Umwelt. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> the idea behind Umwelt is like, we have an anthropomorphic view of the world, right? Like we, when we see a frog sitting around all day, like we think that frog isn't doing anything. Like he's just laying in that pond all day. But of course that frog is like seeing and hearing and smelling and breathing through his skin. And the world is very rich and alive to him. One of the things that this book does, I think, A, beautifully, and B, intentionally, is it captures the umwelt of a peregrine oh, wow. falcon. Okay. Right? Like, like in the way that he uses language, in the way that he describes what he sees the birds do, in the way that he describes, like, these, these birds, like, at a certain point, he is describing... I think as close as you possibly can in the English language, what it feels like to be a falcon, right? Like what it feels like to be a peregrine falcon. And it's a trick that once you realize it's happening is like mind blowing. Like you almost transcend the species when you read this book. Litheads, you can zip. You can um so litheads, what you want I want you to do is fly super high in the sky and then fold your wings and dive at about 80 hundred, a hundred plus miles an hour towards our website. Mm-hmm. 800. Where you yep. can mash those buttons, such as request a book, request a theme. Um this was not requested. Uh this was this is out of Joe's brilliant mind, but uh you can do that. That's a good place to a good place to kind of let all those angry thoughts about how much you love books out. Uh, you can also request stickies. I've been sending them out. They are still some available. So uh, declare your love for you don't know that uh, you can like us and follow us and share us and so on and so forth on social media. This podcast is available wherever podcasts are vended. Most importantly, tell a bookish friend. It's called organic growth. And um, we've had a lot of organic growth. You folks telling other litheads, uh, inflicting us on your friends. So inflict us litheads. Make it make it your goal. To go out and inflict you don't know lit on somebody else this week, Joe. You didn't really answer why he was um, he was not didn't have a lot of friends and wasn't nice. Is it just because he was so what miserable? Miserable? Oh, he was just he was he was a little uh, agoraphobic isn't the right word because he was outside, of course, all the time. But he was he was just a little antisocial. Um, like he was married, his wife pretty much just like took care of him. She didn't seem like she had super nice things to say about him after he died. It was, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> never what you want. Cancel no, meter. I, 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 I don't know. I hope that's true. Like, I hope I'm not doing him a disservice. Like maybe he's a really rad dude. Okay. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you don't know, you definitely shouldn't make stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What? This is a passage of him, like following the Falcons, which so many of these passages are. And I chose it because in it, he describes how he is hunting the Falcons, I think in very similar language to how he, how the Falcons themselves hunt. And I think for just a moment here, he kind of sort of becomes a peregrine falcon. And he says, (laughs) (laughs) he says, I swung over the hills and down into the deep valley, seeing the tearsel diving down the fan sun rays toward the distant marshes. I swooped through the Lycashers on swift green light, a dazzling wetness of green fields irrigated in the windswept eye. The humming wheels plunged away below me. I was dragged down in the rush of wind. This 
was hunting speed, pounding after the winged hawk quick to the quarry. I remembered galloping over the spring green turf as a child, over the neglected fallen farmland of pre-war years, through the wild hedges and the glorious waste of flowering weeds flaming with hawks and finches. The far hills turned, revolved, shifted apart. The lean silver length of the long estuary suddenly shone out to the horizon like a spar of light, and all of the distant marshes floated up to the thin blue surface of the sea. I stopped and stood above the green flush of the marshland. The peregrine hurled toward the gap of light that was the sea, ricocheting across the green land like a swift, rebounding flame.